0: welcome to strange bedfellows podcast where no question is too dark no topic too taboo join us to explore sexuality self-help and politics with our expert guests and friends we believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation I am a parent I am a certified holistic sex educator I am Longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger, and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows podcast.
1: My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man and activist who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight. Because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows.
0: Today we will be speaking with a midwife in Portland, Oregon. Her name is Heather Hack Sullivan. She is the owner of Rosehip Midwifery. And she is an instructor at a midwifery school for over 20 years and has provided care to an estimated 500 births, myself being one of those clients. Uh, Of course, pregnancy and birth is political and we're going to speak to Heather about the care she provides out of her home office in Portland. We're going to be talking about pregnancy, sex, probably some self-care and birth politics. Heather Hack Sullivan is available for contact at 503-504-0885 or rosehipmidwifery at gmail.com. Hi, Heather. Hi. Hi, John. Hello. Hey, John, where were you born? Uh, I was born in France. In a hospital? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And Heather, where were you born?
2: (laughs) I was born at a naval hospital in Newport, Rhode
0: Island. Okay. And then I was born (laughs) in a hospital in Kansas. So what is it like 98% of births in the US happen in the hospital? Does that sound about right, Heather? That's true. Okay, so how did you discover that this was the work for you? Because there's actually, women have always been providing care to other women in labor. Uh, And then that changed in the last say 100 so years. So how did you even discover midwifery in the first place?
2: I actually, it was probably Out of hospital birth, I learned about before I learned about midwifery, my mom, I'm the oldest of four, my Mm -hmm. mom with her last two children, my brother and my sister was planning an out of hospital birth in Illinois with a doctor. Um, Midwifery is still not um, licensed in Illinois for out of hospital care Hmm. that's still true of I think it were like 18 states there's still not um, licensed midwifery
0: yeah I want to talk more about that later it's a state by state that's right dependent on whether they even recognize midwifery
1: that's that's interesting Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: so in Illinois that's still true but my mom did have a doctor who would attend an out-of-hospital birth and that was what she planned with my siblings but then she had high blood pressure and preeclampsia and some complications so she wasn't able to have those out-of-hospital But I was aware of that idea. And then when I became pregnant the first time I was living in New Mexico, I went to the little clinic in my small town and said, hello, I'm pregnant. I'd like to see the doctor. And they say, no, if you're pregnant, you see the midwife. And I was like, oh, all right. So... That's kind of like how I fell into knowing what a midwife was. Whoa! I had a nurse midwife for my first birth in a small town hospital. I was the only person who gave birth at the hospital that day. (laughs) Wow. And um, so I had pretty individualized experience, which isn't true in bigger hospitals. No. And then my son was born at home here in Portland with a midwife. Okay.
0: So hospitals, I forget what it's called. There's a documentary. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know what it's called? Do you remember? Is Ricky Lake in it? Is oh, it that mm-hmm. one? Do you remember what that's called?
2: There is. Um, oh my gosh! Why am I blanking on that? Uh, Business of Being Born. Business of Being Born. It's a documentary that came out several years ago. Ricky Lake produced it, and she was really trying to get the word out there about out of hospital birth and
0: well um, and a lot of the problems within hospital birth yeah when yeah. it's
2: like they treat you
0: like a number and they want to get you through as fast as possible That's so if right. that means accelerating like oh well you're not you're not having contractions yet but we need you know like we want this room so let's give you something to get contractions
2: right well, part of it is the number of people they see part of it is their training and again i'm not I'm not anti-hospital. No, I'm not I, I mean, anti-obstetrician. Right. Yeah. It was more. It's more um, the difference in the individualized care, continuity of care, and the training. Um, I just think of midwives as the experts in physiological birth. That's what we're trained in, and obstetricians are trained. In their surgeons, and they see lots of different mm-hmm. um, people—a big range of people with different risks—and out-of-hospital birth is really meant for people who are low risk and mm-hmm. who are whose pregnancies are going by without any complications. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I don't want—I don't want anyone to think we're going to bash the um, Western-like medical industry because my kid and myself might not even be alive if it was a hundred years ago. Wait.
2: We want that. We, we want, <laughs> yeah, we want whatever
0: people need. No, I yeah. had to have a cesarean, Heather. This, we mentioned, I said briefly, but you started, you came to me when I was in labor. My labor was so long. Your doulas helped while well, you attended another
1: birth. Ooh, so what's the, um, for those of us who don't know, what's the difference between a midwife That's and a doula? A really good
2: question. So doulas are um, emotional, physical support. So they are there to be there with you, to give you water and rub your back and really be an advocate for you. (laughs) Yeah, we all need a doula. That is true. Um, (laughs) I love that. And they provide that continuity also, especially in hospital-based care. Again, you're seeing different nurses. You're seeing different people every time a shift changes. Um, And that support is really, I mean, the research on doula, just having a doula support and even just being in the room with you is just somebody that you can use for that emotional and physical support, Mm -hmm. but they're not trained medical professionals. So they don't take your blood pressure. They don't check on the baby. They don't administer Mm -hmm. medications. They don't listen to heart tones. They don't do any, they don't manage hemorrhages. They don't, right, exactly. It's more to help the experience. Yeah.
0: A brief history on midwifery, aka why we are doing this episode, Mm -hmm. why we care, is because so... There's so much going on with birth politics Mm -hmm. again right now. (laughs) Yes. Um, We'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, So there's this article, OurBodiesOurselves.org, the history of midwifery. So it says in 2012, hey, that's the year I gave birth, Mm -hmm. 98.6% of all births took place in hospitals. uh, But in many other wealthy industrialized countries, including the UK, Sweden, and Japan, midwives attend most births and far outnumber obstetricians. So... It says, in the American colonies, midwives attended almost all births. Uh, They passed these skills they had brought from Britain. West African midwives came to America as slaves and attended the births of both black and white women in the antebellum South. Uh, African American midwives continued to take care of both black and white poor women in most parts of the South and were referred to as granny midwives. And of course, American Indian native tribes had their own birth traditions. But then when... uh, really medicine took off in the last half of the 1800s it says there was a focused effort to outlaw midwifery so that the doctors could be more successful Uh, so it says a series of events between 1910 and 1920 there were two reports published on medical education and conclude that concluded that America's obstetricians were poorly trained to improve their training. One report recommended hospitalization for all deliveries and the abolition of midwifery. Uh, In 1914, quote, twilight sleep was introduced. This was a combination of morphine and scopolamine and amnesiac. So it removes, it relieves pain, but it also makes you not remember it. So upper class women initially welcomed it as a symbol of medical progress um, this can be damaging for mother and baby, right?
2: Very much so. Um, there were lots of instrumental deliveries happening then because basically the women were unconscious. And so to get the baby out, that's when they were using forceps. And
1: mm-hmm. damn. So,
0: yeah,
2: it, yeah, it says <laughs> <laughs> in 1915,
0: I'm glad you said that, Dr. Joseph DeLee. Mm-hmm author of the most important book of that period described childbirth as a pathologic process that damages mothers and babies quote often and much he said if birth was properly viewed as destructive pathology rather than as a normal function quote the midwife would be even impossible of mention so they designed these drugs to quote save women from evils natural to labor including sedatives ether episiotomies and forceps
2: right and in our country the way midwifery was abolished basically was it was very different than other countries and we can see the effects of that because our maternal and infant mortality rate in this country is not good i think we're 37th or maybe even worse like, it's pretty we're bad well wow. pretty bad for a quote <laughs> industrialized <laughs> leading the nation. worst in the in industrialized nations mm-hmm. um we spend the most money on maternity care of any country and yet we have not really good outcomes in other countries midwifery is kind of the basic go-to care but there was a, a different historically there was a different attitude toward midwives and you know a lot of i think the reasons midwifery was abolished was was racist and Mm -hmm. um of course anti-woman but also racist in Mm -hmm. this country because of
0: uh, well because of who the caregivers and the birth providers were it was black women so it was Mm -hmm. get the black woman out of the house you don't need this go to a doctor that's elevate yourself yes Very much so. I had a guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good guess. It's amazing because these days it seems like since midwives are less uh, common than they used to be, um, that there seems to be a trend of people who can afford to hire a midwife. Like (laughs) me and
0: my husband at the time. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. we were Um, a six-figure household. Yeah. You know?
1: Right.
2: I think that's one of the things we know as midwives is that, out-of-hospital birth midwives, is that... Our care sometimes is seen as trendy or for upper class women, Mm -hmm. especially upper class white women. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to I want to challenge that a little bit. Um, Please do. I mean that's true, but I take Oregon Health Plan. Oregon Health Plan does cover out of hospital birth. It's you know it's not necessarily the easiest process, but you can get a prior authorization. There are a handful of midwives in Portland who take Oregon Health Plan, and so. I I really want to know that that is an accessible thing for people. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get the word out about that, and and it's a challenge um, because we know the racial disparities in healthcare, yeah. specifically maternal healthcare, mm-hmm. in our country. There's a belief that medical professionals some
0: hold that Black women can sustain higher That's pain. Right. That's right. You've heard that, yeah,
1: yeah. So, so it's likely to give them. Um, whatever the they medication. need yeah, yeah. or yeah. listen to them yeah
2: yeah there's a, a huge history of obstetrical violence toward mm-hmm. um poor people and people, pe- people of color um and just women in general we know that there's studies that show that like women aren't listened to they're not taken seriously in in lots of aspects of healthcare but mm-hmm. we see it so profoundly in maternity care um i mean even you know in the news
1: we've seen the
2: Beyonce and Oh, Beyoncé Williams. Serena Williams, uh, yeah, Serena Williams, and they felt Williams. was a big one. Yeah. She, yeah, she had
1: a blood disorder or has a blood disorder and um, was going into some sort of like attack or or episode and um, she knew exactly what she was going through. She knew the medication to ask for, she knew the quantity. She told them and they were like, No, like you're fine, mm-hmm. like Jeez. you don't need this and then she had to like insist to talk to like the doctor and finally once like she was becoming like visibly like ill like they were like okay shit yeah <laughs> she had Jeez. to really
2: advocate for herself in a way that shameful (laughs) and she's she's
1: worth hundreds of millions of dollars and like this is a person who you wouldn't expect just because their socioeconomic status to like you know Mm -hmm. be uh treated that way and no it's across the board there
0: there was a tweet i saw i want to mention this a black woman tweeted she said if you are refused a medication or care ask for it to be documented in your file and to see it and she said she did that and they were like you know what you know best and they gave her what she needed so i saw that on twitter maybe it's true (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) something to try.
2: Again, obstetrics is, again, we're grateful for that knowledge and when it's needed. I I often tell people when they're interviewing me to hire me for their care that I think one of the ways we don't look at it is one of the examples I use is like when you go to the dentist, you know, you start going – to get your cleaning at the dentist you don't go straight to the oral surgeon mm. for like the things you don't need yet mm-hmm. yeah. in other countries that is the basis you start seeing a midwife and if you risk out you go to a higher level of care yeah. um we that's not how we do maternity care in our country and um mm-hmm. the countries that do use midwifery as their primary care do have much better outcomes so that's one of the things that is i think really important information Mm -hmm. um so what's happening
0: we'll talk about this for a couple minutes before we take our first break but how do you feel about these early term abortion bans happening in the south yeah (laughs) do you think there's going to be any impacts of this these changes making it harder for people to get abortions legal abortions i'm
2: sure i mean the just the timing alone of like the six weeks like a lot of people don't even know they're pregnant at yeah. six weeks. Mm-hmm. Like or four. So
0: Another right. state, I believe, is yeah. four. That's Did you
1: hear uh, Ridiculous. Donald fucking Trump on uh, TV <laughs> talking about um yeah, now they do like post-birth abortions. Oh, yeah. And like, <sighs> yes, the the mother and the doctor will talk and they decide then and there if the baby's going to live. And I'm like, you're, "So you're who believes your
0: shit? The people he was saying that to in Wisconsin, where he gave that speech, believe that shit. Some that's people do. And that's why I think he forgets like, or I mean, obviously doesn't care because it doesn't matter because it's working for him. But like, yeah. you can just throw out red herrings like that and yeah. some people will believe them.
1: Yeah, WAPO, uh, the Washington Post has like documented that he's made over 11 Thousand lies <laughs> since entering office. That's like gotta be a record for like. I mean, if anything, like, yeah.
2: Oh god. So, yeah, so it's just another yeah. way where women's choices are and experiences are not being listened to. and yeah.
1: mm-hmm. and also just insane like Mm -hmm. the the fact that people out there believe that like a woman and her doctor just talking like yeah like I just gave birth to this child I've been carrying for nine months should we kill it like (laughs) yeah or (laughs) just
0: in pregnant people too because so a lot of you know we're not even women some of these people are girls yeah and then there's also trans folks who can totally become pregnant yeah um and then they're kind of really in the crosshairs it's like fuck I don't want to seek care now yeah you know um talk Um, about like a medical abuse of people worried yeah um worried about being marginalized or targeted uh so yeah i just wanted to to mention that to hear that from someone who is a birth care provider that Bans of abortions are bad, okay?
2: (laughs) That's true. We want autonomy. We
0: do. Well, so I um my child is seven now. You helped me with that greatly. What was interesting to me is so I had a doctor and I had you, midwife, and I had your support team of doulas. But so my care was very varied and it was very like I was so privileged in it. I had a supportive husband who made good money and could pay for all this shit. And then I ended up having a really long pregnancy and then a really long labor. And then, so what happens if you have a midwife and then you don't have a doctor and you have to go to a hospital?
2: Yeah, so that is, um, again, one of the things we always talk about during the interview is it's not, we are not like out of hospital birth, home birth at all costs. We are doing continual risk assessment. So if something comes up, that's either out of our scope of practice or it's just part of your choice of like, I'm making an, you know, we're giving you information and Mm -hmm. you're continually making those decisions for yourself and we're giving you information. And if we end up going into the hospital, we uh, go with you so that you Mm -hmm. don't lose our care. Our role changes because, um, the kind of midwife that I am, a CPM certified professional midwife and a licensed midwife. We don't have hospital privileges, but we come and our role changes a little bit more to that of a doula. Mm -hmm. Um, but we also in Portland, we've worked really hard. The Oregon Midwifery Council has specifically worked very hard with um, the local hospitals to really inform them about our care and what our scope of practice is. Nice. And so that our transports, even really, even since you were my client, mm-hmm. um, has just greatly improved. Um, they, you know, we collaborate. They look at our charts. We talk about, That's you wonderful. know, the client's vision. We talk about you know, what we know about them. And it it is a truly collaborative experience. That's not true all over the country, of course, because different states, different places don't have as Mm -hmm. open communication. And it's come after a lot of work.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Are there places that don't allow midwives into the labor room?
0: Probably those 18 states that don't recognize it.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think maybe they might not. um, I've only practiced in Oregon, so I've definitely heard stories of like... There are even states where um, midwives are don't have licensure or are illegal. They s- are sometimes present themselves as a friend of their client mm. or a doula for their client. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, so. If you
0: have a story like that, write to us, Pillow Talk, at strangebedfellowspdx.com. Um, I remember the look on your face and I remember the way it felt when you put your finger in me, Heather. <laughs> and you said, I watched the look come over your face and I, ju- and I knew you were trying to like cover it a little, but hey, I'm intuitive. And I was yeah. like, that's it. I'm going to the hospital. And you said, you know, I'm not really sure what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. So let's go to the hospital. Yeah. And sure. then the, the doctor, because they switched some shifts and I remember there was a man doctor who was very pushy um, and he was like, I think you should push. And I I remember I was like, i'm not ready yet like i knew you know i knew yeah. if i if i try to squeeze i'm gonna tighten even more yeah um and i just remember i i think it was you heather or maybe your doula but one of you was back there behind him just shaking your head like <laughs> kind of just like disappointed in this situation <laughs> but i was advocating advocating for myself and then they yeah. said Do you want to do forceps or the vacuum or do you want a cesarean i was like cesarean me please <laughs> So it really is all about
2: options and that risk assessment Mm -hmm. and being honest. I mean, I think part of being a midwife is being humble and honest of like, this is something that's out of my scope. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we are again, trained and specialist in physiological birth Mm -hmm. without major complications. There's things that are borderline that come up and we're trained with those complications come up fast Mm -hmm. to know what to
1: do Mm -hmm. and to get to where we need to go. Um, What's one of the most common complications that you've experienced um, over your course of work? I would say
2: the most common and the most um, in Oregon under our license, the most the thing that's that we are the most able to deal with is postpartum hemorrhage. So if yeah. there's a, more bleeding than we like, then we carry almost all the same anti-hemorrhagic drugs. So we're wow. able to administer those. Oh, so cool. that's cool. Yeah, basically the only thing we don't carry is. Um, C section. <laughs> Epidural, mm-hmm. blood transfusion. You know, we don't yeah. mm-hmm. use those things. We don't carry vacuum extract forceps, of course. But like we do have anti hemorrhagic drugs and um you we are... have oxygen, we can suture, we have IV fluids, you know, we have all of that stuff.
0: Wow. You were you were always able to tell me what position my baby was in when my mm-hmm. doctor couldn't. Yeah. That's
2: yeah. we call that the art of midwifery. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of um It is really based on relationship and I've had many clients come to me late in care. I think you came to me later in care Mm. and some come to me after, you know, seeing uh, an obstetrician or even a nurse midwife, um, and they don't see the same person and so they're not building a relationship and their appointments are five to ten minutes long Mm -hmm. and they don't feel like they get to ask the questions that they want. Mm -hmm. They don't feel like they actually know what their options are when there's choices to be made. That time isn't taken. Um, And then the other part of it is They're often um, have an experience of nobody ever touching their belly or feeling the fetus and and figuring out fetal position, which is something that can really greatly affect the way your labor goes. Um, And so, and unfortunately, I've had several women come to me um, who have been body shamed well we can't feel your baby because of your fat your fat yeah gotcha of your body type or is 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 there anything to that easier uh, no, <laughs> no. Thank you. Okay, nope. that's my thought. <laughs> no, again, I had a guess. Um, and and I've had a couple women come to me later in their pregnancy. They've never even heard the heartbeat. They haven't even been given the chance to. They oh, wow. haven't even just turned up the ultrasound speaker for them to hear it's a, a, You know, there's some body shaming. There's some. You know, mm-hmm. there's that's a whole other issue. But there's some things in our society yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that permeate just like that so. relationship, that trust, that. Um, I felt very listening, comfortable with yeah, you. listening to women and their experience and women often can tell birthing people can often tell me what position they can give us some clues about what position their baby's in too. So yep. it's again, more collaborative, more, um, individualized mm-hmm. and we get, we have hour long appointments. So we have lots of time to talk about not just the physical parts of pregnancy, but just the transition of becoming a parent and yep. what, that will be like um, the other huge difference in mid- midwifery care is postpartum care. Mm. So if you have your baby in a hospital, even if you have a all natural, which is I'd like to talk about that term a little bit too, but um, mm. if, even if you have a vaginal birth with no complications, you go home and uh, you go home usually the next day, and you don't you see somebody at two weeks. Basically, that's a baby visit, there's nobody really ever mm. checking up on the birthing your vagina. person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your or just your blood your pressure breasts. or yeah. your breastfeeding or anything. So that's a that's a huge difference. Yeah. So
1: in other it, countries, um, at least from what I've read, women tend to stay at the hospital for like a week at least. Um it's
2: changed over the years. I'm not sure what that postpartum um stay is in other countries, but there is postpartum care and specifically like pelvic floor follow-up mm. and in france for sure they have that they yeah. actually have a video game for your vagina which is Whoa. awesome do I you know, know what that. it's called no but i'm gonna try to make one <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my goals <laughs>
0: God, the follow-up care is so important because for like like you just said pelvic floor specialists there's so many postpartum people that have written to me and they say my vaginismus yeah or like vaginal pain or i feel loose oh, yeah. so it's just yeah, yeah
2: pel- that's all pelvic floor care yeah, yeah. which uh, can happen whether or not you have a baby for uh, sure out of your vagina i want to say that like i don't want to um that's another part of the body shaming that i think comes into like, yes hey, you'll be stretched you're going to be out. wrecked like, i heard of, that you're never going to go back to
0: the club you're going to be
2: wrecked your body's right. going to be wrecked mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the things that i appreciate that Ina May says is that if Men's junk can get big and go back again, so can
0: you know, so I like to really remind
2: um, birthing people about that. Like that tissue does is made to stretch and then return. Yeah um, And fist bumping. Yeah, but that postpartum piece I think is is so key. And you know my transport rate and most of the midwives in Portland, their transport rates are anywhere between three and ten percent. So sometimes we don't do go into the hospital and people. Often have vaginal births in the hospital, sometimes have C-sections at births Mm -hmm. at the hospital, but they still get that postpartum care and they still get that continuity of somebody they know being with them and advocating for them. So, again, the goal isn't necessarily to have an out-of-hospital birth and it's not if any complications come up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the goal is to continue that relationship and then to get that care that continues. Our care continues to six to eight weeks, taking mm-hmm. care of both the birthing person and the baby. Yeah. Um, I was a
1: very resistant baby into coming into this world. <laughs> I was actually born butt first. Oh, yeah. Um, which I didn't know was a thing till my parents told me, like... <laughs> When I was like a teenager, they were like, oh, yeah, when you were born, you were born but first. And I was like, that seems about right. Um, <laughs> face down, ass up. Yep, yeah. <laughs> The way I like um, to be born. <laughs> and do I everything like,
0: else. <laughs> oh, you. Yeah. That's fun. Um, we, we definitely have to take a break. <laughs> okay. We'll be right back with Heather Heck Sullivan of Rosehip Midwifery in Portland, Oregon. Hey friends, are you sick of razor burn? Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherland's Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner aestheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. Netherland's Wax is gender neutral, sex positive, trans and queer welcoming, kink positive, and body positive. We are just over the 205 bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com.
1: Stripping Out Loud is a 70-piece collector card set that goes beyond traditional pinup photography and showcases the power, personality, and beauty of exotic dancers in Portland, Oregon. This project has been created to represent a spectrum of Portland women, men, trans strippers of varying styles and bodies. The project has been conceptualized and photographed by Portland artist, Jason Savage. Cards contain a little bit about each dancer model such as their favorite song to perform to or a link to their social media. Each dancer receives a modeling fee and the usage rights to their images. The sets are available at strippingoutloud.com for $26 with free shipping. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows where we're talking about midwifery with Elle and our guest.
0: Heather Hack Sullivan. Uh, Let's do some listener questions.
1: So we got a question Uh, my partner is due in a couple months and I'm a man trying to figure out how it is that I can best support her I feel limited in my ability to understand what she's contributing to our baby and I want to understand my role as a supportive partner and father what should the non-birthing parent know about labor and about being postpartum
0: (laughs) don't take it personally if I treat you not nicely (laughs) I need a towel I need eyes is that a good one okay yeah um (laughs) I'm uncomfortable. Don't try to romanticize it. Get the fucking camera away from me. Don't take pictures of your partner when they're in labor and they say not to. Don't do that. It's a consent issue.
2: What else? I think one of the most important things is to, yeah, not take things personally and to remember that a birthing person is in a real primal brain spot. Oh, yeah. I bet so, there's a whole flood of
1: chemicals. That's that just- right.
2: The hormones that are happening and the way that your brain is not working at least not your frontal lobe <laughs> working yeah. during labor um decision so, uh, making decision making a lot of talking a lot of yeah engaging that frontal lobe it's more primal it's more you know just getting through the moment yeah. tuning in getting co- as comfortable as you can i mean thinking about when you're not feeling well in general i think is a good way to describe um i mean it's labor is different and the you- pain of labor is different because it's on and off and you get breaks but like i often tell folks to think about what is comforting to you when you're not feeling well if you're yeah. having menstrual cramps or a headache or a lot of people are like i want to be in the warm water or i want to be by myself in the dark and yeah. that is often how people do act yeah. in labor see my mm-hmm. mom's
1: choice was um to apparently according to my dad grab his hand during labor so hard that he thought like she had actually broken his <laughs> hand and wow. like he like he said it was sore for like a week oh wow
0: <laughs> yeah we'll think about um when animals birth it's like in a closet away right. from people so again opposite <laughs> opposite of like a hospital where everyone's crowding around and yeah. you know that's not a a lot of lights
2: and sounds and strangers Ooh. and again one of the One of the hormones, one of the main hormones that uh, contributes to uterine contractions is oxytocin. And oxytocin is something that is (laughs) able to flow the best. I mean, it's present during orgasm. It's present when we eat with people. It's present when we sing with people. It's that kind of like we're all in this together, bonding, juicy Mm -hmm. hormone and thinking about that environment to get that oxytocin flowing. So, mm-hmm. you know, low lights and um, being comfortable and warm and with people that you trust. Um, again, I, the kitty cat mantra is really good. Like what would, you know, where do animals go to give birth? And the thing about oxytocin is it's offset by adrenaline. So if you're feeling that fight or flight or like, okay, who's this person? Okay. What's that light? Okay. What's that noise? Yeah, That kind of offsets the the flow of contractions um, mm-hmm. in a real way. And I wanted to talk about, too, the role of partners in mm-hmm. childbirth. That has changed over time, too. Sure. I mean, I was born in 1973, and my dad was allowed in the delivery room. But Ooh. that was pretty new then. Um, I was going to say how cutting edge, because, <laughs> I mean, in the
0: like for a big chunk of like i think post-world war it was get the man far away right. so we don't scare the shit out of him right we can't right. horrify him with what's happening yeah mm-hmm. god so. forbid
1: he see the the fruit of his, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of his, of his labor question mark <laughs> of his uh, 15 minutes Loins. of work <laughs> yeah.
2: um i then i think the way that i mean partners were invited into the living room was with a very specific role of like this is how you breathe and this is how you tell her to breathe and this lamaze was- <laughs> lamaze was part of that and like Lamaz, i mean i know my mom took lamaze and i know
0: my mom did too yeah that i was, was born in 86
2: yeah that mm-hmm. was a way to have them participate um I don't think we need to tell anybody how to breathe. Everybody knows how to breathe. <laughs> I mean, some folks need reminders. Yeah, but yeah, you need reminders of like yeah. breathing deeply and slowly and getting oxygen to yourself and your fetus. But um, I did it's um, more as a witness. I think the role of a birthing of a partner of a birthing person is just yeah. being present and and calm. Yeah.
0: This isn't about you either. Yeah, you're. So I had hypnobirthing again. My you know, at the time, bougie husband and I, we could afford all, all the stuff. So I was like, hypnobirthing sounds nice. And that actually got me through a lot of my pain. Yeah. Um, Heather, do you have any tattoos? I do okay so would i feel like labor and being tattooed is kind of similar in a way where it's something happening to you that you chose to do mm-hmm. but you can't really get away from it for a while <laughs> so you're like okay how am i just gonna like ah, breathe through this but hypnobirthing was really nice because it was a lot of visualizing yeah and i actually was able to sleep for 20 minutes by getting to a place doing my practice oh wow. and it was a nice bonding thing for me and my partner yeah um so like him being there i remember my husband at the time being told like bring her what she needs you know be prepared to like make some decisions not for her but to help facilitate them like if you ask her what do you want to eat and she says i don't know because she can't think (laughs) yeah bring her either some grapes or a granola bar you know like like just helping be the nurturer prepare for the for the parenthood and that was very very helpful because then when again when i needed the help my partner had been told these things, so yeah. it, he knew more what to
2: do. I would say, I think there's a fear. I've had a lot of partners be like, oh, are they going to yell at me and say, it's all your fault that I'm here. I <laughs> you did this to me.
0: It's yeah. like an old one. That's, you see that in all the movies. <laughs> you right, did this to me. Exactly,
2: and I haven't seen that specifically. It's more, um, I would say that the number one thing partners, including other birth support people get, um yelled at during labor about is their smell. (gasps) It's funny.
1: (laughs) Oh, is it because the the women are hypersensitive? Definitely. And if they're like, Did you eat fucking tuna? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Exactly that. Like
2: how dare you eat a burrito and come breathe in my face? (laughs) Like so that's that's, one of the things I clue. And like we need Uh, to remember too. Yeah. um, Like oh do you like make sure that
1: you don't wear like strong perfumes things like that yeah Mm -hmm. things
2: are i've I've asked a lot like oh can i put this in the birth tub and i'm like you might hate it and it's hard to empty 100 gallons of water that smells like lavender if you decide you don't like lavender so like (laughs) you know maybe you could put it in a candle or something (laughs) that we can move yeah you know Mm -hmm. so again that sensitivity to smell and then i think just too much talking again is yeah. super annoying they're to probably like shut up shut up i'm
1: in pain Shut yeah. up! yeah especially
2: during contractions i only have one there's always an exception to the rule the exception to that one was my dear sister i got to be her midwife um for her three girls and oh wow um each separate or the same yeah okay yeah. separate pregnancies yeah okay yeah And uh, she, only with her first labor, um, she wanted people to talk during her contractions. It was distracting to her. She also had a very long labor, and my mom and I were uh, there, and she
1: just... Probably good white noise, you know, yeah. like for against the wall of pain that you're experiencing. Yeah. You're like, okay, I can focus on this. That yeah. way I don't have to fully focus on the pain.
2: It's the only time I've seen that most people want people to be silent during their contraction while they're doing their thing. And then they can kind of come out of it. And some people again, depending on the person, yeah. is very chatty in between. Yeah. And then they kind of go back into their little space. And some people just kind of want to maintain that space. And so we'll often just kind of go in the other room.
1: And... Do people ever uh, disassociate during labor?
2: There's a term we use called labor land where, and I don't have a lot of experience with hallucinogenic
1: <laughs> drugs, but
2: I've definitely had people tell me like, it's pretty trippy, like you kind of go to this other place. Mm-hmm. And it looks pretty trippy, like eyes roll around in their head a little bit it's very um and I guess I did have that with my first labor um with my daughter uh I was in the hospital in New Mexico and I was sitting in this rocking chair and I I had this experience of every contraction I would go back in time and I would have I would be remembering like things from my childhood, mm, yeah. and which was very distracting and lovely. <laughs> and like, you know, That's it's awesome. just like, oh, I remember I used to carpool with this family, you know, just mm-hmm. like yeah. random memories would come back. I didn't have that experience in my second labor. It was a much faster labor. Yeah. And I was more kind of focused in and like using the what I call pain. Some people don't like to call labor contractions pain Mm -hmm. I do I -hmm. thought it was painful (laughs) I think you get to reframe it however you want yeah um so yeah I think people can really experience I don't know that I would call it disassociation in a pathological way but more of a like you're zoning in or out or distraction or it's a different place it's like being in a a type of hypnosis
0: and I also don't really remember I mean I don't really remember, but I've tried to. I remember doing, yeah, also like visualizations and then also distracting myself, thinking like, if I can just think about, let me name all my seventh grade teachers and (laughs) see if I can. Um, Counting helped a lot. and like, I know that's 30 seconds until the next one and each contraction's about this long. So just like constant counting, it was, again, it's like your frontal lobe's not there. So, I, I mean, it was a little there, but it was a little floaty. Again, like being tattooed, it's like I feel like I'm going deeper into myself.
2: I think like a yoga practice, tattoo, a lot of visualizations that people use um, have to do with like the ocean kind of mm. you know, rising or like a wave building because contractions do do that. that. Mm-hmm. And like yoga, if you're holding a pose and like your muscles are kind of tightening and you're breathing into that and you're just letting it kind of to the next part Mm -hmm. that's something in portland i think the very portland visualizations that people use are bike riding up a hill or walking up the stairs at mount tabor (laughs) that's a very common visualization that people use in portland i love that i've had definitely people use those and and even verbalize that experience while they're having a contraction of like I'm I'm on the bike. I'm going up a hill. Yeah. It's really hard. Oh oh oh! It's really hard. It's a really big hill. Okay okay, we're going down the hill, down the hill. <laughs> yeah. So like it. I mean that it is a. It's a strange sensation. Contractions because it's a muscle tightening. The a huge muscle, your uterus tightening and yeah. releasing but you can't control it. It's Ugh. not under your control. No. Yeah. What's that video?
0: There's a bunch of them, but YouTube, like, men experience pregnancy contraction. Oh, contractions. oh they yeah, put like, where like they the the strap tens on unit. Unit. the... Uh, yeah.
1: They also have, like, an electric um, zapper now mm-hmm. where you can... Um, you can cause men to feel the same type of contraction by inducing um, muscle twitching through electric shock. Yeah. And uh, Hurts so they real can bad. experience kind of and like the men yeah. just like scream. Yeah. They're like, I'm, I'm done. I, <laughs> I bet quit. The, the wife is just like, oh, <laughs> I have to go through hours of that. Also going to be <laughs> different
2: because of the things that happen yeah. physiologically when yeah. you're, those are building. Yeah. But get they're getting a endorphins. taste of it. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, some I'm, people have orgasmic births and right. I'm very happy for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, good on I Uh, I tried I tried to go that way but um, there's only so much visualizing you can do Um, let's see let's do one more is there a best posture for giving birth I keep visualizing myself on my hands and knees instead of on my back okay so more visualizing here
2: yeah um, I think that in my experience and my practice most of the births that happen are usually on hands and knees, so I think that's really appropriate visualization. That's I think part of it is moving around during labor, and that's something again when you don't have to be um, strapped on a monitor or strapped to an IV pole or strapped to other yeah. interventions. That that freedom of movement is really. Um, mm-hmm helpful really helpful moving that pelvis around our pelvises are not fixed they have joints and the end of pregnancy you get hormones that loosen those joints up that's why you waddle at the end of pregnancy and you all your joints loosen up so you drop things more often and just things are looser yeah I did not know that yeah I used to always I dropped my keys like every day when I would try to open (laughs) the door when I was pregnant (laughs) my ex-husband my the father of my children used to say, when you're pregnant, you just say, I forgot it, I lost it, or I dropped it. <laughs> <And> that's true. <laughs> that's so the, that that loosening of the joints and hands and knees is a a really great position. Um, you're supporting yourself, your back is available to be rubbed or have some counter pressure on or your hips to be squeezed. Um, Gravity. The there's gravity because it's <laughs> upright, Yum. and uh, the baby, the fetus's back is can be um, in that position naturally. Kind of the weight of the baby turns toward the front of your body, anterior, mm-hmm. which is the best way for the the fetus to enter the pelvis to be born. So there's, yeah, hands and knees is a great mm-hmm. position even before labor starts to just keep your baby in a good position. Um, mm-hmm. and to do like those cat cow stretches and to be on your hands and knees, our pelvises don't really match up with our modern lifestyle. We sit a lot. We mm. sit in chairs a lot in Western, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, civilization. modern civilization, um, you know, traditionally we squatted more. We were on our hands and knees more, you know, picking crops, mm-hmm. <laughs> scrubbing floors, mm-hmm. doing Making things. Textile. Exactly. So um thinking about of- about, I think you know, there's that. Uh, there's definitely that trend in in exercise about really trying to do like the nat move, like do the natural movements that our body is kind yes. of made to do, right? Kind of ducking under. T- we're pretending to duck under trees and dodge <laughs> things, and you know, the, yeah. those are that's the way our body is is has evolved to be mm-hmm. survival. To be and mm-hmm. then kind of thinking about that in the birth world of like, we weren't made to just be sitting in chairs or in bucket seats or in mm-hmm. cars, and actually that's one of the main reasons that labors can be longer or babies cannot be in an optimal position is because of
1: lounging kind of
2: sitting back and our babies are turning in a different position Mm -hmm. uh,
1: if i were someone with a a uterus and the ability to give birth i would um probably want to be in like a warm pool of water and for like just for the the comfort of the water Mm -hmm. and then also like i don't know I think that would help with like Mm -hmm. gravity and
0: I got in and out of that tub at the house many times. But the thing that sucked is that every (laughs) time I would get in my contractions would stop. That can happen. Yeah. Yeah so that i was like oh i feel better but now i'm halting the process i thought it would accelerate but yeah Yeah. it did help it did help getting in and out i think we had a picture of me in there and i was like in the zone yeah (laughs) Yeah, that was i mean i everyone was very respectful to my privacy but i remember um i said yes you can take some photos like please do i want these for memory yeah um i want to clarify earlier my husband did not do that shit but some partners do (laughs) they're like oh she was yelling at me to get away from her with the camera but i got some And then she's like, I look terrible. And it's like, gross. You don't respect each other's consent at all. It's a great thing
2: to talk about beforehand. And again, I think there's this, I feel like when I first started attending births 20 years ago, there was a lot of talk about birth plans and planning your birth. And I think we've, midwifery I I think midwives have moved away from that terminology just because there's so much about birth that cannot be planned but thinking more of like setting up your environment to let oxytocin be optimal and talking about what you may or may not want beforehand I think is a great thing but also I would say um you asked earlier about you know a partner how Mm -hmm. the the partner support but Mm -hmm. also just about anybody who's Going into this experience, with a lot of experiences, expectations are... (laughs) It's good to not have very many. It's good Mm -hmm. to... I mean, I, I think it's also a lesson of parenthood is you're not really in control of everything. <laughs> you can set up again, right? You can like plan. I read a parenting book recently by Alison Gopnik. She's like my academic hero, but How do you she, spell that last name? Gopnik? G O P N I K. Okay. She Thank has you. A, she has a TED Talk. She has a, uh, her newest book is called The Gardener and the Carpenter and it's specifically talking about parenting, but hmm. she's talking about how a lot of people view parenting as the work of a carpenter. Like, here's the plan. We're going to make a table. You do this and this and this and you get this. And that parenting isn't like that. No, no. (laughs) It's like being a gardener and you might prepare the soil and you might You know, you're thinking about things that you might want in your garden, Mm -hmm. but things happen. The sun might shine or it might not. The rain might come or it might not. Mm -hmm. A crow could eat your seeds. You know, the soil might not be what you thought. Something might surprise you. You didn't even know you planted in your garden. You know, there's volunteers. There's things you never expected to happen. And they're beautiful and they're wonderful, but you didn't know that was going to happen. Or the things you put a lot of energy in don't Mm -hmm. happen Mm -hmm. so just like again that I just really appreciate that um analogy and I think that's true of going into childbirth and remembering that it's just the beginning of parenting it's not I think people get really focused on that event and it's a wonderful transformative amazing event um but as long as, you know, however it gets here, yeah. right? Like, yeah. my baby's here.
0: I was so relieved. I was like, oh, God, finally it's over. Now the actual stuff begins. That's right. I right. don't even barely remember my due date. I had, You know, like people get really stuck on the due yeah. date. Yeah.
2: And it's not just your story. It's also that baby's story yeah. and how they're going to come into It's Again, I think it's one of the first lessons of parenthood of letting go. And kind of taking things moment by moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: I was at a birthday party. I told you this yesterday. And one of the kids was running around and one of the dads looks at me and and other parents around. He says, my kid does not have the personality I picked out for him. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we have expectations of all kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah
1: my parents definitely tried the uh, carpenter planning carpenter <laughs> yes sounds like <laughs> yeah. it yeah no, fluid it was, is good <laughs> no. no they were like very very interesting yeah no I, I, did I ever tell you that they used to as a kid um I used to sit in a room by myself and like listen to Mozart for eight hours with <gasps> these special headphones what yeah it's a place called the listening center what and they were like this will fix his ADHD oh Jesus Christ yeah and yeah. I'm just like no, oh, yeah. I can't listen to Mozart without getting annoyed oh <laughs> no (laughs) Oh
0: God, okay, well with that, let's take a break. (laughs) Are you looking to advertise your product or service to a growing worldwide audience? StrangeBedfellowsPDX.com wants to hear from you. Contact us, StrangeBedfellowsPDX at gmail.com to learn about affordable website and social media advertising. Whether your business is big, small, or weird, we offer sliding scale and affordable advertising. Email strangebedfellowspdx at gmail.com to partner with us today. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. Apparently, John would eat placenta (laughs) because technically it's vegan.
1: Well, I said technically it's vegan. I'm not sure I would eat it. (laughs) (laughs) I
2: once was um, preparing a placenta for encapsulation at a client's house, and they had housemates, and they had a housemate who was vegan, and uh, the... Um, my client was like, I'm a little nervous. I didn't ask him if I could do this in the house, but I want you to do it at my house so I can be part of it. And I was like, okay. So we, we started it. We steamed the placenta. We had sliced it up. It was on a cutting board. And then that housemate came home. He walked in and my client kind of <laughs> like was like a little bit frozen. And he walked <laughs> in and he was like, is that placenta? And she was like, yeah. And he popped a piece in his mouth and walked out of the room. Oh my God. <laughs> we were without asking
1: shocked. permission. <laughs> yes. It
2: was, and she was like, food. I guess he's okay. Yeah. Oh my God. So he's Pretty like on oh, the funny.
0: one vegan meat. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that safe though? <laughs> is it safe to eat a uh, stranger's placenta?
2: Well, um, I mean, we eat meat that doesn't belong to us all the time that's true (laughs) that's true john's vegan he's nodding (laughs) that's funny yeah
0: so i'm looking at um this article from forbes.com it was published in may of 2019 Uh midwifery is having a net positive impact on maternal health Imagine that. Imagine that. So what's really, really funny, the first line of this, midwifery is growing in the United States. It is already an enormous (laughs) presence in Europe. So they don't even, I mean, I understand. They do, he does in the second paragraph, the writer, he says, I always like to check the past first as for the future. The past tells us that midwifery has been the norm for all of history across all cultures, except for the majority of the 19th and 20th centuries. Um, The doctors, the first Major foray of men into childbirth of the Victorian era promised the mothers that they could do a better job than dirty, uneducated midwives. So, uh, but that's kind of cool because I started out being like, "Oh, you dumb dumb," and then, "Oh, good, you covered it in the second <laughs> in the <laughs> second paragraph." But it's just like when you when you begin reading, it, even just the way it's framed, to many people, it is growing because people don't know
2: anything about history. It's true. Some and some of it is ignorance not in a I'm not saying that not in any yeah. way but and people it's don't not often something don't know they
1: teach in school like no. even during sex ed no one goes like oh and um if you do end up having a baby like <laughs> here's right. like the all the people who might be involved or like what how the process would happen they just talk about like sex and well, the fact even world that women history. Can get pregnant and right. they're just like I learned shocking. about
0: all the wars I learned about all the wars I learned right. about the French war I don't even know anything I was in honors yeah. history I didn't learn anything about midwifery no yeah. honors history all years of high school mm-hmm. never heard about midwifery i mean we yeah. don't
2: learn about our bodies and our cycles and our we mm-hmm. don't learn a lot of things in school mm-hmm. but yeah i i think it's still a lot of people don't know mid, what a midwife is it's i in, in our little portland bubble i finally have had more people know what that is um but even just a couple years ago like you know i went to like bishops to get my hair cut or something and the hairdresser's oh, what do you do? And I'm like, a midwife, I don't know what that is. Or people think a midwife and a doula is the same thing. That's a yeah. really common mm-hmm. uh, mistake. And um, I've had people think that meant I was a surrogate. I've had people, I had one man at a gas station say, what, you have two husbands? Well, oh my God. <laughs> and at the time I said, actually, I have no husbands. <laughs> I have zero husbands. That's hilarious. <laughs> so a lot of people don't, actually know what that is or know that there's training involved or that we carry emergency equipment and yeah. that we are really you know specialized wow. and educated so again it's it, some of it is just ignorance and you know that's something i mean i'm really glad you asked me to come on yes. the podcast because part of that is just informing people that there's this
0: mm-hmm. a whole new world, whole new world. <laughs> that has been here all along that's right <laughs> no. uh so there's this other article. Oh god, the photo makes me sad. It's on vice.com written by Sarah Yar Tucker, mm-hmm. also in oh, May of 2018. There is a hidden epidemic of doctors abusing women in labor, doulas say. According to doulas, women are often treated horribly while they're in labor, with medical professionals engaging in abusive behavior that ranges from non-consensual episiotomies to sexual assault. An episiotomy is when they, can you remind everyone? Yep,
2: it's a cut that is given to the perineum, so between the vaginal opening and the anus, to open that area for babies to come
1: out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and there's also the the opposite of that, right? The husband stitch. That's <sighs> a
2: thing that is I've heard somebody say just last year. So. Uh, you only heard that last year. I um- mean I've heard people, say that yeah obstetricians say that yeah i heard that in cosmo that offer it to the husband not the actual person who they would be giving it to i'm sad to say no
0: i read in cosmopolitan magazine when i was a teenager in like 2003 that you could request the extra stitch if Mm -hmm. you're worried about your pussy being tight let's
2: also remember that it's still okay for medical students to do non-consensual um vaginal exams and pelvic exams on people who are um uh, asleep when they're in surgery so Ooh. we ha- there's a there's a there's a history of medical non-non-consent and um oh jesus so yeah absolutely that's um, still
1: happening too. feels like something that should have waivers involved like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah yes i will allow it rather than that's the norm and you can right like yeah. your own if
2: you so, even know
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: so well it's it's like I think it's a rushing, it's a numbers game combined with we don't, yeah, trust these people. Yeah.
2: And it's something that I think, I think there's a thought of like, well, people wouldn't consent to have this done. So we're going to do it anyway. Do it anyway. Yeah. That's another way midwives are, at least the way I was trained um, at the midwifery college here, is we um, did lots more numbers than I think many. childbirth professionals do and we practiced on each other's bodies and that was you know part of being at our school but that was a way for us to learn and then also get and give feedback about it instead of just practicing it on a a, a have
1: you ever uh, have you ever been in a situation where you not necessarily got into an argument but had a disagreement with the doctor Mm. um that's um, a great question
2: it's a really good question um again the um The collaboration and the acceptance of midwifery care in Portland has changed a lot in the last, definitely the last 10 years. I've been attending births for 20 years. Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, I have. (laughs) And one was specifically about an episiotomy and a consent about it. Um, And basically the baby was coming out and uh, an OB um, was like, well, let's just give her, said to the intern who was also attending, like, let's give her an episiotomy now. And I said, oh. And I said to my Oof. client, like, "Hey, you, do you want They're one? offering <laughs> this cut if you want it. And she said no. And then um, the baby was born like three minutes later, without an episiotomy, without yeah. any tearing. Yeah. And the OB came up to me later and said that baby could have been born two minutes sooner. <gasps> and I was like, like but, "But the baby was fine. Like, there yeah, were like, no problems." But, and the parent so would super be healing for weeks yeah. later. Yeah. 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 What the fuck? So I've I've definitely had a couple. A couple Ugh, disagreements. See, oh, um, my God.
0: And and then we wonder why maternity death or injury or risk is so much higher for poor okay. people. Yes. Or single, you know, people, young people. Like, they don't have any other partner there to advocate for them at all.
2: I think, too, when we look at the history of the way childbirth has been in our country, you, you mentioned all that history about the twilight sleep and mm-hmm. the scopolamine. Mhm the other drugs that Mm -hmm. might make you not remember and being unconscious and not being able to feel I think that still extends into our childbirth in hospitals today um, OBs are used to people having epidurals and again I'm not against epidurals I think if that's what you choose and if that's what you need that's what you need yeah. i think that's
0: great i ended up having one at the end
1: yeah, yeah. I well, my mom it's... did that too she at first didn't want one and then at the end she was like fucking yeah. inject me yeah, there's
2: a compassionate use of it and there's also yeah. a choice like i'm not again if you choose yeah. you get to choose what your birth looks like and yeah. what you want to experience or not experience um but i think because they are so used to and i think ricky like kind of goes into this in her business of being born where she's talking to a panel of obstetricians and she asks them how many unmedicated births they've seen. And most of them have not seen them. And so it's hard for them to support a process that they don't know anything about. Um, and when they're used to having people having epidurals, and I've I've definitely had clients have this experience where they transported to the hospital, they didn't get an epidural, um, but they're so unused to people being able to feel everything that the way that they touch people's bodies oh. mm. is with a it's like expectation it a bit yeah. that they can't feel it. Yeah. Um. God. So. But even I, I would like to believe that even if you have an epidural, you still need to give consent with how somebody's touching your body. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, and that's something that again, um, it's part of that. There's not a relationship there. There's not a lot of, um, there's not just not a lot of consent given. And mm-hmm. it's, they're very invasive mm-hmm. skills that need to be used. And I sometimes have to do very invasive things that I. I like what? Well, one I example. Mean, very rare, but like if somebody's bleeding too much and there are clots that are. In the vaginal canal that need to come out so that the uterus can clamp down that might involve me going up and pulling those clots out mm-hmm. yep. not like super fun times for me or for that you're person. wearing gloves probably yes wearing gloves <laughs> sterile gloves <laughs> um but it's something that needs to happen yeah. and i tell that mm-hmm. to my client like this this is not gonna feel good this is going to hurt and it's what needs to be done and i'm sorry that i have to do
0: this and Mm -hmm. um and that's different than give her an episiotomy (laughs) right
2: we didn't ask you right yeah i mean i'm not saying that everything i do is with um especially in emergency situations, I'm not, the expectation is that you don't have time for like a full consent of what's happening. But Mm -hmm. I think that's already built into the relationship of like, I will save your life Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I will tell you what I'm doing and why I'm doing it.
0: Well, even with parenting, when when, uh, it's like you can't, in theory, respect your kid's consent all the time if it's a health or safety issue. So with diapering, it's like, And she'd be little and scream like, I know you don't like this. I don't like this either. But you have poop in your vagina and I have to get it out or you're going to get an infection. Here comes the cold wipey. Okay, one more. All done. You know. And
2: at the same time, giving that child or as a midwife, giving your client choice and autonomy and Mm -hmm. knowing that that is, is the basis of care where I don't think... I don't think in any part of our medical system we get a lot of choice and autonomy. We're very—I think there's a very big culture of being a compliant patient. Of um, the authority, doctors are the authority, Mm -hmm. and um, and unfortunately in obstetrics, they're the authority on something that they don't have a lot of experience with, (laughs) and that's where I think that's where midwifery does come in. I think midwives are the experts in childbirth mm-hmm. and what that looks like whether it's medicated or not medicated
0: well thank yeah. you for coming on to say fuck the man <laughs> <laughs> um
2: last thing before we go
0: so is eating placenta oh, safe yeah. okay good i and what are the what are the reasons well, people eat placenta again i did it i had the dried yeah. out encapsulated ones you made for yeah
2: me. yeah so traditionally um there are cultures that have do have reports of eating placenta um it is not was not a like all over the world, common practice in every culture. And actually one of the, um, it really kind of came up in the hippie movement in the 70s of just like animals do this. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think anecdotally there haven't been a lot of studies done on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Anecdotally people say that it helps their milk supply, helps their mood. I mean, it's a big piece of meat, and so it gives back iron. I actually have a – uh, there was a, a study that came out last year where they made a nutrition label for one placenta, <laughs> like you know you look on your the yep. back mm-hmm. of anything you eat, and there's they made that um, <laughs> format, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, what is in a placenta, like iron and protein and uh-huh. yep. minerals and? I remember
0: one of the the big cells for me was it might minimize your postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sold, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> so. And again,
2: I think we're in the middle of those studies looking at how many hormones are actually present in the placenta. Again, it's something like... I believe in science. I also believe what people tell me their experiences and whether that mm-hmm. can be measured or not. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah. A placebo um, is a
0: placebo. That's right. Yeah. I yeah. agree.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it never works. I agree. And there was a big uh, to do last year. A uh, woman's baby had a, group beta strep infection that's a bacteria Mm -hmm. that's present in a lot of our bodies just like E. coli is Mm -hmm. um, and can make babies sick and this baby got sick and they found some of that bacteria in her placenta medicine and so there was a little bit of pushback of like Mm. this isn't safe but my take on that is that it's really hard to blame the placenta medicine when it's a bacteria that's in the world anyway so yeah Mm -hmm. it could have been on that Mm-hmm. bacteria is on things yep. <laughs> yeah. so in that case that might have not been safe but um but yeah we'll see how things
0: continue to yeah. unfold I turned out fine
2: yeah <laughs> yeah we all you know continue to eat a lot of food that I mean spinach and cantaloupe has listeria on it a lot too but oh we my don't God. The you things, know <laughs> no the things
0: people eat yeah yeah no There's that's like the least risk of risk in
2: everything yeah
0: and- uh, so thank you so much, Heather Hack Sullivan, for coming on. Thanks so much for having uh, me. Thank you are coming on. Uh, She's available for contact 503-504-0885 in Portland, Oregon, or email rosehipmidwifery at gmail.com. Until next time. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind the scenes photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts... Type www.patreon, that's P A T R E O N.com forward slash Strange Bedfellows and join for only $1. Find us online at StrangeBedfellowsPDX.com and Instagram at StrangeBedfellowsPDX. You can find me, L Stanger, on StripperWriter.com and Instagram as L Stanger.
1: Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to PillowTalk at strangebedfellowspdx.com and find me, John, on Instagram at metric.cafe. Please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app. Thanks for supporting sex education and freedom of expression.